0: Hi everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of the Legal Wolf podcast which was set up to raise awareness of mental health and also tackle the stigma surrounding mental health not only within the UK where I'm based but around the globe. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Jennifer who is a mental wellness artist. Hi Jennifer.
1: Hi Steve, thanks so much for having me today
0: no problem you're you're very welcome and just for the listeners would you be able to give a bit of background as to who you are and also why you are passionate about mental health
1: yeah absolutely Um, i am an american that moved to sweden actually about 20 years ago as shocked as i am every time i say that number because that was never the plan Um, my passion in mental health, um, I guess, you know, I have a long history of mental health issues. The first time I think that I was actually, um, medicated, I was probably 15 years old or so. Um, and it's something that I've been struggling with, you know, my, my entire life, um, depression, um, and then ADD that went undiagnosed until I was 40 years old, Um, and, you know, I think the, the lack of care within the mental health region, um, you know, area, uh, especially in Sweden is something that I find so shocking. And so I find it so important to raise awareness and, um, you know, because I work as an artist, everything I do is based on smashing the stigma of mental health and, connecting with other people and and helping them to just feel better.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And in terms of discussing your lived experiences with ADD and depression, how has that Mm -hmm. been for you, Jennifer?
1: It's been really, really difficult, um, especially with the ADD. I have to say, because I went, you know, undiagnosed, it's something that really affected me from a very early age. I had no idea that the way my brain was working was different from anybody else. Um, I was constantly being told that I was lazy, that I wasn't applying myself, um, you know, getting getting bad grades on everything. Um, so it created a world of really bad self-esteem. And that's something I carried with me, probably from, I think the first time I remember hearing it was in third grade um, and I carried that throughout my life and it continued to, you know, jobs within my profession and being terrified of making mistakes and um, losing a lot of jobs uh, during my journey because I did make a lot of mistakes and, and I I didn't understand how my brain worked or, um, you know, how how to make things work for me because I never received that guidance. And the same thing with the depression, I mean, at least with the depression, I was able to get help in the form of medication. I've always struggled with getting talk therapy. um, And that's been really hard. It seems like no matter where I've lived in the world, it's a matter of private versus public. And if you can't afford the private, then you're very limited on the public. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's definitely been a struggle, but something that I've you know, been able to identify, I knew that it was depression, whereas I didn't know it was ADD. So I found, I have found things that work for me um, with the depression over the years.
0: Okay. And what is ADD?
1: Well, for me, um, and I, I think it's different for everybody, but generally speaking, it's a way that you process things. Um, I process things quite a bit slower than most people when it comes to topics that I'm not all that interested in or things that hold my interest. I'm extremely easily distracted. Um, Even if I enjoy what I'm doing and I'm, I'm, um, you know, I don't wanna say in the flow because when I'm in the flow, it's almost impossible to to distract me. Um, But even if I'm doing an activity that I like, I can be so easily distracted. You know, It's the kind of thing where I, I walk from one room to the next um, with no idea what I'm doing. You, know, you start in one room and you end up in who knows where because you're, you're distracted by so many different things. Um, and that has led to a lot of problems with, with work because I have a hard time sticking to one task. I make a lot of um, mistakes because things don't hold my attention. Um, so it can be viewed as sloppy or, um, you know, like I don't care. Um, but the things that I really love about my ADD are the fact that I have this extreme uh, level of creativity that I've been able to tap into. And I also consider myself to be quite a, um, quite a good people person. I'm pretty in tune with other people and what they're, what they're feeling. And I really consider those to be, um, you know, the blessings of ADD.
0: Yeah. And if I now move on to talking about art therapy, mm-hmm. um, what is a mental wellness artist?
1: Well, I don't actually, I'm not an art therapist. Um, I do not have an education in art therapy. Um, I do sessions with another artist on a monthly basis to help um you know, to help people, give them some really easy resources, um, you know, artistic resources to help when they're feeling anxious, or stressed, or low. Um, yes. But I would never, never consider myself an art therapist. Um, I'm just sharing things that, that I have found in my life to work. Um, when I say mental wellness um, artist, for me, it's because everything is centered around mental health that I do. And my goal is to, you know, move to, um, you know, mental wellness to me is a much more positive way to address mental health. Um, and that's just a way of, you know, encourage the way that I encourage people to kind of, um, come to terms with any sort of diagnosis that they might have or any sort of, um, mental illness you know that they're that they're struggling with and to realize that there's a way to move from that feeling into wellness and to to deal with it and to live with it in a in a successful positive manner
0: yeah and how has art helped you jennifer
1: oh my gosh um you know i i um come from a long line of um of artists so art has been a part of my my world you know, as long as I can remember. Um, And one thing I noticed, you know, I always created art as a child. Um, You know, it it was just my happy place. But then when I got older and started dealing with the depression, um, it became kind of my, my safe place. You know, it was the place that I could go to where I didn't have to talk about anything, but I was able to... Just get all of my thoughts and feelings down onto a canvas or into a you know sketchbook um, without any judgment without anyone telling me I was wrong and it became something that I needed to do pretty much on a regular basis um, and then it, it turned into something that I needed to do you know almost daily and it's something that really shifted for me in 2020 Um, The first thing being that I lost my mom during the pandemic, and um, I wasn't really given much opportunity for therapy. Um, I was given one, one session, it was over the phone, and the therapist that I spoke to, basically, you know, we spoke for about 15 minutes, and at the end of 15 minutes, she said to me, literally, people die, you need to get over it. And at that point, I just ended the conversation because I realized I'm not going to sit on the phone with this woman for an hour. I mean, yeah. who gave her her, her qualifications? Um, you know, and that's when I realized that I don't know who I'm going to get when it comes to a therapist, um, but I do know that the art really helps me. And at that point, it became an even bigger importance in my life. Yeah. And that's when I decided to actually make the shift to a full-time artist where I could help other people as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, the the impression that I get from, from hearing you talk about this is that you're very passionate about it. And mm. art, art is essentially another way to express your feelings without you necessarily having to talk about them because you can That's put funny. it on a canvas. And talking about the therapy session and what you were told by the therapist, I mean, that is just shocking on Mm. so many levels Mm. and and is this essentially part of the problem in that why people don't go to a therapist for help because if they're giving this type of advice or they are saying Mm. this to an individual then is it any wonder why people aren't accessing it
1: yeah Exactly. I mean, I, unfortunately, it was not my first really negative experience um, with therapy. Um, When I was, when I was 16, and I talk about everything, I'm a very open person. Um, uh, But anyway, um, when I was 16 years old, I was raped. And I was uh, directed to, you know, free therapy straight away. And I can remember, I don't know if it was the first session or the third session, um, but it was the last session. And the therapist said to me something along the lines of, um, what was it? Something along the lines of, we create create our own lives. Um, It happened to you because you allowed it to happen happened basically and you know that was crushing (laughs) absolutely crushing as a vulnerable 16 year old who had just gone through a rape um you know within within yeah within weeks um you know i had a suicide attempt um which which thankfully didn't (laughs) didn't work um you know but it was it was so devastating to hear those words. And it put me off the of therapy for a really, really long time. And, and, you know, I did, didn't tell my mom, um, and I, I wish I had, um, uh-huh. but I didn't tell her, I just refused to go to any more sessions. And, you know, she, she respected me because I was, <laughs> I was quite emotional about it. Um, But yeah, I mean, unfortunately, over the years, I have met more bad therapists than good therapists. And I have had a couple good ones in there. Um, But unfortunately, because they've been private, they've been so expensive that it's not anything that I've ever been able to maintain.
0: Okay, because that was going to be my next question in terms of what is the difference between the good experiences that you've had from therapists and bad experiences. And by the sounds Mm -hmm. of it, it's the difference between private and public. And yeah. Essentially, yeah. if you pay for a therapist, you will get the good quality service that you expect to get from a therapist.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I don't want to say that there's no good therapist within the, the public sector yeah. because I'm sure there's plenty. Um, I just haven't had the benefit of meeting any and um through the private sector you know of course they're, they're they have to make their own way in the business world mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. so and they have the passion to have started their own businesses and you know even all the private ones that i've met there's been a couple that i wouldn't call bad but i just didn't click with you know mm-hmm. so i wasn't going to work with them because so much of it is about the relationship that you build with them um, but definitely much better experiences in the private sector than in the public.
0: So, I know from our previous conversation, Jennifer, we've discussed about you wanting to get into the mental health realm in Sweden, but it's proved rather difficult for you. Um, yes. Would you be able to expand on why it's been difficult for you to get into the mental health realm in Sweden?
1: Um, Sure, I mean, I, I wish I had a, a an easy explanation because that would certainly make me feel feel a lot better. Um, but unfortunately, i I don't. i I don't understand the way that it works here. Um, I recently had an ex- a solo exhibit um, called Smash the Stigma, where I had, Twenty different pieces of art that were based on women with different diagnoses. So it could be anything from, you know, um, depression to PTSD to bipolar, whatever. And my whole point was that with this um, was to illustrate that even though these girls have some sort of diagnosis, it's the least interesting thing about them. Um, so I built personalities around all of these paintings, and uh, you know, had put together a little book. And I reached out to, I want to say, 26 different nonprofits in Sweden, Um, not to ask them for any money or any backup, but just to ask, can we work together? I'd be thrilled if you could just, you know, put me on your webpage, put me in your newsletter, and I want to donate, you know, a portion of the proceeds to you. And literally only two of them even responded and one of them said good luck and the other one said they were unable to at this time Um, I was completely devastated because a lot of these a lot of these organizations I donate to on a monthly basis Um, and it made me question whether I should keep doing that or not because what are they actually doing for people I've never seen any of the benefits I just keep sending them the money and what shocks me even more is that nobody from these organizations, all 26 of them, not a single person even showed up at, the, um, at my exhibit, uh, you wow. know, just on a personal, uh, um, out of personal interest. So I just, yeah. you know, I have found so much more traction, so much more help from the UK. Um, it, it's, it's been wonderful how easily it's been to, to connect with people in the UK. But it's horrifying that I'm getting nothing in Sweden and this is where I live.
0: Yeah, I mean, that that just sounds shocking that you approach so many mm-hmm. organizations and none of them are, are interested. And mm-hmm. you would think with an art exhibition to smash the stigma, all of these mental health organisations would want to get behind it because yeah. they want to smash the stigma like you. Right. But for whatever reason, it, it's as if they're they're willing to accept, to keep accepting the money coming in. But when it comes to doing something to action and to try and, positively smash the stigma Mm. why are they getting cold feet because it doesn't make sense because you you've both got the same goal so it makes sense to work together
1: yeah I agree I agree I one of the organizations did let me write a blog and they put it on their uh, they put it on their web page I think maybe one of them did you know put a put a link to my page in their instagram stories but that's literally it there has been no traction whatsoever um i contacted another and you know and they have a blog and i asked if i could blog for them and they told me i was too old um so so that was a closed door right there (laughs) but um Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Maybe they want people in their 20s or whatever, and that's fine if if that's who they're targeting. But, um, yeah, no, it's been one closed door after the next year, unfortunately.
0: I mean, for an organisation to say that you're too old to do a blog, I mean, Mm. my initial reaction would be that all kinds of lived experiences that are shared are beneficial and valuable because the Mm. more people that share them that feel confident enough to share them either in a podcast or in a blog then we are going some way towards reducing the stigma and normalizing Mm. the conversation yeah
1: absolutely absolutely and I think you know I'm 46 now and um you know, since I wasn't diagnosed until I was 40 years old, I've had a lifetime or lifetime so far of really understanding the struggle. And, um, you know, I, I think that I have something to, to bring to people um, living through life, you know, giving through life experience rather than just through textbooks. And uh, I, I, you know, that's my passion. I just want to share it with people and, and, you know, help them in ways that I wasn't helped.
0: Yeah, and I I think in order for us to normalize the conversation around mental health, there needs to be more people who, like you, want to share their stories. Mm -hmm. Um, So other people out there who are probably struggling with something very similar to yourself, will realize and hear, I'm not alone. There are others Mm -hmm. out there. And that can bring comfort to people as well um yeah yeah so you've obviously been in sweden for 20 years Yep. <laughs> and how is mental health perceived in sweden
1: oh i have to say i think it's getting better um but there's definitely still a stigma attached to it um i think it's getting better in you know it's still not something that people talk about openly. Uh, it's a very small amount of people that do you know, um, admit to having problems or um, you know, wanna, wanna share that with the world. But I know that a lot of people are seeking um, help. You know, they're going to the therapist even if they don't wanna discuss it with the, with the outer world. Um, one of the things that is huge here right now and I, I think it's probably global is you know, burnout from the job. And that, that seems to be the one and only aspect that is, um, that is acceptable. Um, but, but I don't know that people really view that as something that is related to mental health. They see it as, ah, uh, people are overworked. Um, but at the end of the day, people are overworked and their mental health is what suffers. And that's why they're running into the problems with burnout, you know, that they are um I can say in the the younger generations I can see that people are a lot more open about it and one thing that I think is really sad is that the stigma for men is you know so much worse than the stigma for women as well and um yeah it's really really sad I mean you know men of course are meant to be strong and you know, man up, you know, be, be a man, you know, don't show your feelings. And um I think the world or I, I don't know about the world, but in Sweden I think that mentality is starting to shift. However, the stigma of reaching out for help is still there. I think that's still seen as weak.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm very passionate about men's mental health. And at the beginning of this week. I did a presentation to the United Nations Peacekeeping Mission in Mali about men's mental health. Wow, wow. And it it is a topic that men are stereotyped to be a particular way. Like you've already mentioned, they're meant to be macho tough not show emotion keep everything bottled up inside um not to show feelings um and i think this is part of the problem as to why men don't reach out for help and talk about things and i think also the way services are advertised they're more advertised towards women than they are Mm -hmm. men. Mm -hmm. So if you advertise, for example, a therapy session as touchy-feely, chances are you're not going to get a man that's going to go to a therapy session. Right. You would need to advertise it in such a way that the man can feel that he can join the session. Uh, but also that they're going to be helping someone in return Mm. and kind of try and use humour. So a a, a lot of men tend to use humour as a default coping mechanism. Mm -hmm. They can use dark humour as a default coping mechanism and they should try and tailor services towards men Not as a touchy-feely thing, but say there is a boxing class that you can do to begin with, so you've done a workout, you've burnt some calories, and then after that you can then sit down and have a chat with your mates around mental health. And I know there is a, a boxing club in the UK who have their own podcast around men and mental health. And they link the two, because there is more chance of you getting a man to sit down and talk openly about his feelings after he's done a training session that he has found of huge benefit.
1: Uh, Absolutely.
0: Than just getting a guy sitting in a room with a therapist and the therapist wants them to tell all. And quite frankly, a guy isn't going to do that. A woman probably isn't going to do that because they're probably just going to tell the therapist what, they, what the, the therapist wants to hear mm-hmm. um, in order to get through the session as quick as possible. Right. Um, so I, I definitely think work needs to be done around both women's mental health and men's mental health And Mm -hmm. I think COVID, and I don't like talking about COVID, but you can't avoid the white elephant in the room. Right.
1: Um,
0: And COVID seems to have got people to open up more about anxiety and depression. Yes. Because everyone everyone is feeling the same. Mm -hmm. they don't know what the future holds then when you're starting to unlock and transition back to normal life like we are in the UK you will have people who literally can't wait to go out but then you've got others that are quite nervous anxious sure Mm -hmm. if someone wants to come up and hug them um are they going to be like nope you can keep your two meters from me thank you very much because I've been used to that for the last 12 13 months right um and then shaking hands if someone offers their hand for you to shake do you shake it if you don't Mm. are you being classed as being rude so I think mental health is going to come more to the forefront the longer this year goes on because mm, mm, yeah. people are going to find getting back to normal life different and strange. However, in Sweden, you've done mm-hmm. the exact opposite to the rest of the world. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and you just seem to be getting on with life um, yeah just building up the herd immunity. We obviously wanted to do that initially, but then we changed track to um, deal with it. But I think Sweden's dealt with it fairly well. I mean, is is that fair to say?
1: Oh, um, I think it depends on the perspective. I mean, for me, there's been more anxiety in the fact that Sweden hasn't done that much about it. Um, I have a hard time leaving my house and being in public situations because th- there's just no regard for other people's health. Um, I actually posted a story on, on my Instagram a couple of days ago, so it's gone now, but I had to go into a shopping center to pick something up. And, you know, there, there is no rule here about masks. There isn't even a recommendation for masks. Um, The only place that there is a recommendation is on public transportation. And it's a recommendation. It's it's not even, you know, you have to. Um, So as I was walking through the shopping center, I was filming. um, And it's like, just to to illustrate how many people I'm around and how many people are not wearing masks. And I think I probably walked by about 100 people and maybe seven out of 100 were wearing masks. And... um, I mean, it's, it's absolutely crazy, and I wear a mask everywhere I go, but I feel so anxious being out in public where people are, are not taking other people into consideration.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: everything has remained open here, aside from movie theaters, I think. Um, oh, I think wow. they may be one of the, yeah, I think pretty much they're the only thing that shut down and they're probably open again. Restaurants have been open, bars were closed for a short while, but then they opened again. I think um, the only, actually, I shouldn't comment on their rules because I'm not 100% sure. Um, restaurants have, of course, spaced out the tables, but the two meters here has turned into one meter. Um, shopping or like the grocery stores, I know in the UK and the US, they have a lot of like one-way directed traffic. Sure. Um, not, not here. It doesn't exist. So you have people reaching over you, you know, as you're reaching in to grab milk. Um, there's no distance, and so I, I don't think that we're going to have the, um, the the highlighted. Well, I guess people aren't feeling the mental health aspects here the way that they are in other places of the world. Um, yeah. The only thing is that people are maybe feeling a bit isolated during the day because most people are working from home. That is the only thing really that's changed. But that being said, even though they're isolated during the day, they're hitting the bars and the parties and the clubs at night. So it's, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen at the end of this in Sweden, but I don't think, I don't think there's going to be much, as far as people viewing mental
0: health differently no i I think over here in the uk i think we are going to view mental health differently or that's certainly my hope that we Mm -hmm. view it differently that we start to be more inclusive of mental health within the workplace within society in general Mm -hmm. um because we've all had similar feelings throughout the last 12 months. And I cannot remember how many psychologists we have had on the television, Mm -hmm. um, on multiple different TV shows saying it's okay to feel like this. It's okay to feel like that. We're going through extremely difficult times. We're going through something that we haven't been through before. Um, and to, to be quite honest, I've forgotten who's a, a real expert and who's a TV expert. Mm. We've had that many right. ec, ec, experts on the television telling us how to manage our day, how to uh, deal with our emotions and feelings. Um, it, it's been clogged full, um, wow. particularly in the early... um throes of covid Um, but in terms of how we can challenge the stigma of mental health and normalize the conversation how do you feel we could go about doing that in terms of education or social media what do you feel would be some of the best methods to tackle the stigma
1: i think the first thing that we need to do is start with children so that it just becomes normal for them. Um, Teach them to identify with their feelings. I'm mad, I'm sad, I'm scared. You know. And for these feelings to not only be identified, but they're also okay, they're valid. And it's okay to share these feelings. And I think as long as we start to plant those seeds very early, um, people become a lot more comfortable with it. And not only for the girls, but for the boys as well. Um, I think on social media people need to be a lot more open um, and I know people have so much trouble doing that and that's I'm mean, just just for one second to go back to my art for for one second I mean the collection that I just put out um, Smash the Stigma that actually um, was inspired by the fact that after my mom passed away when I would go online um, and I would you know, people would ask, you know, how are you? And I I would, I always give an honest answer and I could see them shying away. Nobody really wanted to hear it, you know, unless they were really good friends. Um, And then when I started to look through my feeds, I saw, you know, everybody talking about their perfect lives and their perfect house and they're showing, you know, it's like um, you're looking in a home interior magazine as you go through your feed or a fashion magazine. And... Some of the people that were posting, I, I, it's like, I know you, I know you personally, this is not your life, you are not being authentic, and it really just started me off, and so when I started painting my women, I painted them, they're very like airy and fuzzy, um, and you don't see any real detail, and my, my reasoning behind that is because I feel like everyone is showing up as if they're behind an Instagram filter. Nobody is showing their true self and we need to show our true self. It's not going to be accepted. It's not, it's never going to be acceptable if nobody's talking about it, if nobody's, you know, because the more that we see people having these magical, amazing lives, the worse we feel about our own lives and you know what's missing from my life why isn't my life that perfect why are they never sad why is their relationship perfect why are their children so well behaved you know i mean it, it, the, the comparison is, is is endless and so we just need to get real um and the quicker we can get real and be authentic you know the, the stigma loses its power because it's like we're claiming it back this is my mental wellness. This is my journey. I'm going to claim it. I'm going to feel better. And I don't care what anyone else thinks. So, you know, the more people that, that join in on that movement, the, the more power we're taking away from stigma. Yes.
0: Yeah. And as listeners to my podcast will know, my views on influencers are not particularly um, favorable. Um, mm. And... I think influencers do have a lot of influence around people and how they post. So Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. of influencers, they post about the blingy watches, the flashy cars, the exotic holidays, Mm -hmm. and they promote that side of their life purely to get likes Mm -hmm. and to get followers. Yet. If you had more people posting about reality and how they feel on a day-to-day basis or if they're having a bad day and Mm -hmm. post about that, then in my viewpoint, that would be more authentic. It would be more real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think you would get more followers as a result of you being real however mm. a lot of these influencers don't tend to do that right because they are worried that they will lose their following yeah and i think they have a phenomenal platform to promote mental health to their followers who can be in the millions
1: yeah
0: but a lot of them choose not to do it because they fear they will be less popular right and we seem to be in a culture of getting likes on a facebook post or likes on an instagram post Mm. rather than being who we are as a human being um i think with social media there are very much two sides to social media you have a very good side which can bring people together with mutual interests all over the world and you can be a force for good and a force for change Mm -hmm. but you also have the negative side of social media whereby you have the online bullying you have the trolling behind a keyboard with zero and but the only parts of social media that tend to make the news are the negative side right.
1: because
0: bad news sells bad news mm. has always sold good news mm. doesn't sell um yeah. right. so i think in order for us to challenge the stigma and normalize the conversation we need more real discussions i 100 percent agree with your um comments on starting with the youth Mm, mm -hmm. i think that is imperative that they are taught about mental health at school positive signs of mental health poor signs of mental health where you can get help and support from if you're struggling so when they grow up to be a a teenager or an adult they will have a better understanding of mental health and will be more accepting of it Mm -hmm um i mean in in terms of the tv and film industry they also have an opportunity to promote mental health i mean if i asked you a question to think of a film that portrays mental health what would be the first film that would come into your mind
1: i can't think of a single one i don't know (laughs) Um. So I mean I no idea.
0: I think that is the problem. Yeah. So the majority of films around mental health, you've got one flew over the cuckoo's nest, which is <laughs> Yeah, that's
1: exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah, there's that one that people refer to. You've got recent ones. Um, you've got Unhinged that came out last year. Um which literally shows how someone can have a breakdown by the smallest of things. For example, when you're driving, you let someone in in front of you and they don't thank you. Um, mm-hmm. That can make you flip. You've got a beautiful mind with, with Russell Crowe in it as well, which basically mm-hmm. so shows you can suffer with a mental illness, but you can still win the Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. which is a very uplifting and powerful film. But when you try and think of a film that shows mental health, you tend to think of the ones that portray it in a bad way rather than
1: yeah, a, yeah. a good way. I, mean, I can think of the, the Joker is the only one that yes. comes to mind. Straight yeah. off. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: but I always like to finish on a fun question because it can be quite heavy-going topic to talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, So the fun question today is, if a movie director came up to you and Mm -hmm. said to you they wanted to um, do a film about your life and you could pick the person who played you, who would it be? and why
1: Mm, I think this is really hard because (laughs) I'm horrible with names Um, I never I never remember names my friends laugh at me because they'll they'll mention an actor or an actress and I'm like who's that and then they have to name like five different movies with the person for me to figure out who they're talking about Um, so I think the (laughs) the only person that actually pops to mind that isn't way too young or way too old would probably be kate winslet i don't know i am still i i still have like a little girl crush on her (laughs) Um, and i i think it's it's mostly it's mostly because of i guess what's been uh spoken about her the way they talk about her in media at least in the american media is that she's very strong-willed um she doesn't necessarily negotiate on her values um she's gotten a lot of crap for her weight over the years um and she's just perfect you know she doesn't uh, the way I've seen it is she doesn't necessarily change for um for society's expectations or demands which may be totally wrong because I um I don't follow her <laughs> or anybody but that's my that's the way that I view her anyway so plus she's gorgeous so why not
0: yeah, no, true, um, and I don't think anyone else has said Kate Winslet before. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think they've they've all been different people that um, the the guests have mentioned, which obviously gives it a bit of variety as well. Um, sure, that people sure. think of different people, but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the show jennifer and if people would like to get in touch with you after they've listened to this how can they go about doing so
1: um the easiest way is probably my website and that's jennifer Masur, mazur art.com um and i also have an instagram under jennifer art and um yeah, please do get in touch. I'm always um, wanting to talk to people and connect with people and collaborate with anybody else out there that wants to make a difference. And yeah, that would be brilliant.
0: Fantastic, Jennifer. And once again, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on the show.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This has been an awesome conversation. I appreciate it.